Hey there, Super Sober Heroes. It's your host, Sober Steve, the podcast guy. And before we jump into today's episode, I want to take a brief moment to ask for your help to shape the future of gay A. Over the years, this podcast has grown and evolved as I've grown in my sobriety. And recently, I've been investing wild amounts of time, money, and energy to find ways to level up this podcast so it can get heard by the people who need to hear it. I want to take a brief moment to check in with all of you, though, to see what you love about the current show and what could be better as I'm growing and moving forward. In the show notes is a three to five minute survey for you to complete. I kindly ask that you pause this episode and take the time to complete it if you haven't already. You are kind enough to give me 20 to 40 minutes of your time each week when you listen to these episodes, and I want to make sure it's time well spent. So please let your voice be heard. Thanks, SoberPod, and enjoy the show. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Gay A, a podcast about sobriety for the LGBT plus community and our allies. I'm your host, Steve Bennett-Martin. I am an alcoholic, and I am grateful for my family. As of this recording, I am 181 days sober, and today we are welcoming a guest to the show to share their experience, wisdom, and hope with you. Welcome to the show, Elsa. Hi, Steve. Thank you for having me. Thank you. It's been a pleasure getting to know you these past six months almost of sobriety. But for our listeners, can you share a little bit about who you are? Of course. Yeah. So my name is Elsa and I am based in New York City, but born and raised in Sweden. Mm -hmm. I have been to this day sober 228 days and I am 35 years old. Congratulations. Thank you. So to get to know you a little bit better, can you share what your journey with alcohol and addiction was like? Yeah, of course. Uh, Thank you. So I am an alcoholic and alcoholism is a disease. And I believe I was born with this disease. My mother was an alcoholic and my grandmother is an alcoholic. And my disease progressed pretty fast. Later, I would say my late 20s, I've always been in my adult life been drinking but again as I said it progressed really fast but as I said earlier born and raised in Sweden I grew up on a farm very very idyllic or how you say it with cows bunnies and cats and my parents were my mom was a nurse my dad was in the army but they also you know raised the animals including me and my brother on this farm, but (laughs) they got divorced when I was around seven and it wasn't really traumatic for me. What was traumatic was that my mom was very, very ill my, my entire life and almost her entire life. And she self-medicated with alcohol and my mom was never I remember seeing her drunk once. That was 1996 when we lived in Israel. So last night before moving back to Sweden, she had a couple of too many strong gin and tonics, as she said it. But I never had any trauma seeing my parents being drunk or doing, causing any problems in front of us or fighting or, you know, those things that you can that you can really remember and see, but she was sick. She had a very rare skeleton disease that took her life. So the alcoholism did not um, take her life. So when, when I was growing up in my, I'm trying to think of what school would that be? Like before high school, 
I was very sad and very lonely because I was scared of her her dying. And it was very, very sad now going back. And it took a lot of therapy for me in my adulthood to process it. But I could go in and listen to her breathing at night. I had horrible nightmares. And this continued for a very, very long time. And I, I, I had my first drink when I was 13. And in, in Sweden, it's very, very young. But in Sweden, that was, I don't know, I wouldn't say normal, but we tried some whiskey. I think we were drunk or something, but it never really stuck to me. As in, I never felt that this is so cool. This is how it is to be drunk. It was more something, you know, I was hanging out with the cool kids. They did it. I did it. But I was always responsible because I needed to come home to mom to check that she was alive. And I Starting, I guess this would be like high school, I finally let go and understood that she was going to die. And again, she was drinking. I knew it. You know, I knew there was wine in her little seltzer glass and I could find bottles. And but again, she's never really acted drunk. There was a couple of times I remember being frustrated more about. I don't. I remember I came in um, to her room once and I could see that she had she had wet herself and. Uh, it was just more, I said, mom, are you okay? And she said, oh, I just spilled something. And I guess I started to realize that, you know, she had two diseases and it's, this is really bad, but and then you wonder, where's the dad? Well, that's another podcast, mm-hmm. <laughs> but I, again, I par- partied like a normal, what is normal, but yeah, I drank on the weekends. I was 18 at the time, just finishing high school and I was graduating and I started to work at a bar in a local bar a nightclub and it was cool you know I got to hang out with the cool kids all my friends partied there but it was again we never drank at the job it was always very how do I say this it was an organized workspace so to say if that makes sense Mm -hmm. but I started getting really interested in the alcohol industry as in what is wine what is beer what is liquor and I started being really good in hospitality. I loved serving. I loved bartending. And this took me to Stockholm, the capital of Sweden. I had the fantastic opportunity in starting to work with some of Sweden's best bartenders. They took me under their wings and they they taught me everything, which is absolutely amazing. And still, partying were probably considered normal. We did not drink on the job. That was very, very, very forbidden. And if you compare to, I mean, maybe the States or other countries in the world where you, you know, it's normal, you're a bartender, you drink on your shift, but we didn't do that part on the weekends or our weekends, which would be Sundays and Mondays. Um, I started getting really good at what I did. I opened multiple successful bars. I started traveling a lot. I started winning competitions. I got to work with some of the best bartenders, chefs sommeliers in the world I got exposed to these amazing wines and spirits and the world was my oyster I won competitions I went to Cuba I went to London I I went all over the place I went back and forth to New York San Francisco Chicago New Orleans and I was like wow I'm really good at what I do and everyone is drinking so so am I but we drank the good stuff right yeah, we did shots. Yeah, we drank this. And 
but it was kind of like justified because we drank a $250 bottle of wine. Right. Mm -hmm. And it was about 2013 when I realized that a hair of the dog feels pretty good. Right. Mm -hmm. Takes away the, takes away that hangover a little bit. And that started to become a habit of mine. And I kind of felt very embarrassed, but you know, Hey, we're bartenders. This is what we do. And you know, I was traveling and it's okay when you're abroad. And then I had multiple uh, periods in my life at that time when I was like not drinking for three months and I was drinking for only two weeks or only drinking once a week. But then I moved to New York because I got a really good job here. And it was before that, just six months before that, when I really started to, oh my God, I am drinking a lot. I'm drinking every day. I'm not being, I'm not shit faced. I'm not blackout drunk, but I am, I needed alcohol to function. And I needed to function because I was moving to New York. I was going to start my new life. And I had a partner at the time and he was questioning it a little bit, but I was like, Hey, listen, stop. I'm moving to New York. I'm stressed. I need to do this. And I moved to New York. And as Bill W says it, I felt like I had arrived and everything that I did was okay because I could drink, you know, everyone here was drinking and I had an excuse to drink all the time because I was, I just moved and I blamed the stress and We had now come to a point where I was starting to feel kind of like this creeping voice that I'm like, something is definitely not right. And uh, I started drinking before work again, not to get shit faced or to blackout drunk, but I needed to function. And it came to a point where I got a warning at work uh, and they were very, very, that's the only warning I've ever gotten, but they were concerned and I wasn't the only one. But I took it really hard. And but all I could think about was, when can I drink? And my partner left me or, I mean, I made him break up with me, but I knew why. Because I don't think it was because of that. I think he was worried and he was just too scared to handle it. I started a new job that was more corporate. And I was like, yes, this is it. I can finally take care of my alcoholism. And I knew then that I was an alcoholic and I can, you know, stop drinking. I can, you know, not drink the the days I'm not working because I still work with alcohol. And I started drinking more because I was working from home and I got really sick just before the pandemic. I was in the hospital and I was so skinny at the time. My eyes were so yellow and I was so tired that at the hospital, I didn't even know that I went into detox because I had fallen at the airport because my legs couldn't carry me anymore. And I thought I was there because I hit my knee, but I was so tired and so beaten that I did not even understand that I was there for a full on detox. And I got out and I met with the doctors and they said, Elsa, you, uh, you have a problem, but they never mentioned the word like alcoholic. They only said you drink too much or your liver looks like that. And this, and they said, you're going to, you're not going to drink more like, right. You know? And I said, no, 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 no more drinking. And no one mentioned any, any program, no AA or anything. And I guess this is, you know, Hey, I'm an alcoholic. I make, I make, I make excuses for everything. Mm -hmm. So 
I uh, very much blamed my my relapse from that a month later on. Oh, I didn't know. You know, they didn't say anything. I thought I could drink after a month, but you know, pandemic happened. I didn't lose my job, but the pandemic made it just easier to drink. But I knew I had to stop. So during the pandemic, I was on and off drinking, sober or dry drunk, as we say it, two weeks and drinking for two weeks. And I, majority of my family and friends thought I was sober. But I wasn't because it was so easy to hide because we were drinking from home. And it came to a point where in November of 2020, actually just before Thanksgiving, I couldn't do it anymore. I powerless over alcohol, 100%. I can't do this anymore. So I, I called a rehab center and I went to rehab. And due to COVID and I had a fever, so they thought I had COVID. So I had to go to the hospital so I couldn't finish the rehab couldn't go back. So I didn't get the help again that I needed. Again, I'm an alcoholic. I love blaming other people for my own problems, right? So I relapsed just before Christmas last year. And then it took a couple of more months. And then April 11th of this year, I saw a friend of mine who was also sober and in the program. She had just been sober a month. And um, I said, I want what she has. So I called her and I said, I want what you have. How do I do that? And she just said, I'm so glad you called me. And she basically took me from there. And she showed me how Zoom AA meeting works. And she said, just take it one day at a time. But that's how my AA journey started. And I am sober one day at a time today. Yeah, excellent. And what have some of the positive changes been in your life now that you are sober? Well, my eyes are not yellow anymore. The positive things is, there are many of them, but definitely that I am not, I don't feel guilty anymore. And that was a huge thing for me because I constantly felt this rotten feeling of guilt and shame. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying that everything I did just because now I joined a program that doesn't justify what I did and the people that I hurt when I was drinking, but it's a step forward using the tools. So Mm -hmm. I am healthier. I make healthy choices when it comes to the people that I talk to and the people that I don't talk to. I make healthy choices for my friends and my families. I make, I think twice. That's a good thing. I pause and I ask other alcoholics. I ask my sponsor before I do things. And I am so much more happy and I want to live. And to do another wonderful AA quote, which is how free do you want to be? Yeah. And that's great and beautiful. Now, now that you're sober, if you could imagine for a moment that you came face to face with your past self in a moment of your active addiction, uh, what would you tell your past self? Oh my God, this is going to sound very like not morbid, but no one's going to give a liver to an alcoholic. Mm-hmm. Um, not really, but I was very bad physically. And that's also, I feel something that's very important to understand that we all work both spiritually and physically different, right? We're we're different. And 
some people can drink actively for 40 years and be completely fine. And some people can drink for five years and not be fine. And for me, I I'd like to say that Elsa, your, your body is physically breaking down and you are also now starting to hurt people around you. And I would also say you deserve to be loved. Yes, you certainly do. And how would you say that your sexuality played a role in your addiction and your recovery? That's a really good question. I, my, I mean, I, I identify as she, her and have since, since day one, I was going to say, but I came out, I'm pansexual. So I came out when I was 16, I think. I've always struggled with uh, accepting myself, what kind of queer I am. Mm -hmm. And I don't know how it was, but this is, I guess, the early 2000s. Things have changed now. But I have learned to accept my queerness. If it's very, if it's a lot of queerness or just little queerness, it's okay. And I've learned that getting sober using a lot of the tools we get in the program. I also have opened up more about my sexuality because I decided that I need to be honest with myself and able to be honest with other people. And also it's okay not to know every day. And when I was drinking, I, I felt like I had to over explain my sexuality a lot Mm -hmm. because I guess I was, probably overthinking it but now sober i don't have to over explain it it's okay to just say that i'm elsa and i'm pansexual and i identify as she her like that's enough yeah and if people ask questions that i don't want to answer it's okay to kindly say no and sobriety has taught me that yeah that's great i know we were just in a meeting the other night talking about like how with some people like either don't share enough when like they like come out as alcoholic or whatever. And like how I had the opposite of like verbal diarrhea. (laughs) And so I can see how that could kind of translate to, you know, sexuality as well. It's just, it's, it's hard learning what you like, what you feel comfortable sharing with other people as you're figuring it out yourself. Definitely. Now in your sobriety, what would you say some of the biggest obstacles that you faced? In sobriety, one of the obstacles that I deal with every day is that I feel that I do not know what I want to do with my life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I guess that's probably not just people that are sober, but I guess that's the million dollar question for everyone. What am I going to do with my life? But I also, which is crazy that I work full time with alcohol. Like I am a certified uh, whiskey expert, um, agave expert. I am a sommelier and a Cicerone and, but that's another, that's, an, that's another podcast, but I, what was the question, Steve? <laughs> well, what are some of the biggest obstacles that you face in your sobriety and like, how do you work towards overcoming? Yes. Yeah, so some of the biggest obstacles is waking up every day, not knowing what I want to do with my life and also trying to plan my day because I have to make room for AA because if I don't do that, 
I'm not going to stay sober. And if I don't stay sober, I'll lose everything. And it sounds very silly that, oh, I have to plan my day around my meetings. But I mean, hey, that's what we do, right? We go to meetings, we share, we talk to fellows, we talk to our sponsors, we work the steps. And that means that I'm going to have to take one to maybe sometimes three to four hours a day to do that. And it sounds like a silly obstacle, but living in New York City, one of the craziest cities in the world, where just the commute somewhere is two hours and you're going five blocks kidding but that's definitely an obstacle and it's an obstacle as well to having to explain yourself all the time i would just crazy i work with alcohol and i also work in a very accepting industry where so many of my friends are sober a lot of them are alcoholics and they work in this industry and they are sober we have a great sober community in hospitality here in new york but also people that have just chosen to not drink anymore, which is amazing. And no one is questioning it, which is so incredible. And I've listened to so many other people in other industries and they, I mean, it could be art directors or nurses or whatever, and they're getting judged for not going out for a drink after work. And if I say no, no one cares in my job. They know I don't drink. So it's fine. But having to explain yourself for people that you don't know and you just maybe randomly met or something and people actually do say, oh, what are you, an alcoholic or something? You know, I think we've all been there. Yes. That's when my answer used to be like, yes. And let me tell you all of the reasons why. And now I'm just learning to just say yes. And That's leave it so at true. That. <laughs> Now, if you can give one piece of advice to someone who is sober, curious, or newly sober, what would it be? 90 meetings in 90 days, baby. Yeah. Joke aside. No, seriously, it's 90 days of your life, one meeting every day. You do that and you don't drink. Try it. Try it. And you just commit to 90 meetings in 90 days. Yeah. That's all you got to do. Try it and be open. And I think you can see pretty fast how, what that will do for you. Even if it's good or bad, maybe you'll notice after two days, oh shit, I have a problem. Well, amazing. You stay those 90 days. And even if you feel like, oh, I think I'm actually fine. Well, stay those 90 days. You know, it's 90 days of your life, right? Mm -hmm. So I'll say that and also ask questions to other alcoholics and listen and yeah, listen. Yeah. And when you're planning your daily life, what are some things that you add into it besides meetings that help you stay sober? That's a really good question, Steve. I, for me, everyone's different, but I am a routine person. Mm -hmm. So if I do everything, almost everything that I do every day, some days it doesn't work. I stay sober because it's a routine and it's, um, Sobriety is new for me. I've never been sober this long before. I mean, I have, but that's my early 20s and it doesn't count because my disease had not progressed yet. So I'm not used to waking up sober every day. So what, what little I can do, as in I make my coffee, I drink my celery juice, I take my dog out. Those are great things for me. So that's what I do. And 
sleep, listen to your body. And I certainly am still recovering for from over a decade of lost sleep. Yeah. That's all great advice. And I know you've said one or two kind of sayings or quotes that we use in the rooms, but as alcoholics, since we really love our steps, traditions, and sayings, what's, what would you say is your favorite one that you live? Well, it's, I wouldn't be a good alcoholic if I didn't say one day at a time, because mm-hmm. I didn't really understand it at first, but I've learned that one day at a time, I, I have sober friends that use one day at a time. Yeah. But if we're going to, you know, take that aside. I, I do love be kind to yourself and don't beat yourself up. Yeah, that's great advice. I know that it's been a, a lesson to learn in my sobriety because I was my own worst enemy when I was in my active addiction for sure. Exactly. And we have put our bodies and souls through a lot of pain. So if you want to have that extra piece of cake or sleep an hour extra, it's completely fine and okay. Yes. And thank you so much, Elsa, for joining us on the podcast and helping me stay sober today. Steve, thanks for having me and thanks for keeping me sober today. Yes. And thank you listeners for listening. Please rate and review if you found this information helpful. If you're interested in sharing your story, getting involved with the show, or just saying hi, I love reading your emails. So you can email me at gayapodcast at gmail.com. And make sure you follow us wherever you're listening to get new episodes when they come out every Monday and Thursday. And until next time, stay sober, friends.